Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bolton eBikes podcast. I'm Kyle Chidock, the owner of Bolton eBikes, and I just love putting these podcast episodes out because it's a place where you can learn more about electric bikes specifically, and we invite industry experts if we can find them and get them on here. Obviously, e-bikes are kind of a, a niche thing, and there's only so many people that know so much, but we're finding these people, we're getting them on the podcast, and when that doesn't happen, then I just talk to you directly about things I think that you might need to know. So today, I'm going to tell you about suspension forks. This is a question I get a lot. What types of forks and how are they installed? So I'm going to give you the basic overview. So if you know nothing about suspension forks and you're considering one for your electric bike, by the end of this, you're going to have a much better understanding of how they work, what's required to put one on, and if you even need one. So let's get into another episode of the Bolton eBikes podcast. Let's start with number one. Do you even need a suspension fork? And that is an excellent question. I find personally that most people want one. And there's not really a big downside, I guess, to having a suspension fork on a bike other than that's one more maintenance item. So if you want to go just minimalist, least maintenance possible, then probably a rigid fork, which has no suspension at all, would be a lower maintenance item than a suspension fork. Now, there are some exceptions. There's a fork on the market, and I'm not even going to mention the name because most of you won't care that much, but it doesn't even have any, it has moving parts. How do I explain this? Basically, imagine it's like uh, composite leaf springs in the bottom of the fork. So it gives you suspension, but there's no, there's no bearings, there's no oil, there's no air, there's no mechanical parts that are really going to wear out. So there might be one exception to that rule in a way, but the fork itself is very expensive. It's almost as much as what some of you may have paid for your electric bike in the first place. But back to the question, do you need a suspension fork? And I would say that depends. It depends on the type of riding. Now, if you have a narrower tire bike, let's say something with road tires or a mountain bike tire, and you're riding it on the street, do you need one? Not necessarily. If you look at professional riders that do road cycling competitions, Tour de France, that type of thing, do they have suspension forks? Absolutely not. Because a suspension fork, in those cases, when you're pedaling hard and trying to get the most power out of things, it's going to limit your power because some of your pedaling input goes into the, the bobbing, the movement of the fork up and down. So you lose some of your speed. Now, is that critical on an electric bike when you're just cruising around for fun? Not at all, not in the least bit. So we're not worried about suspension, whether that's front suspension or rear suspension, because we're not worried about losing power. You've got a motor, you've got a battery, you're not in a race, you're just out there to have fun. So there's no disadvantage, in my opinion, other than it's, it's one more maintenance item that you have. And depending on the fork, it could add some weight to a bike. And weight is something that is important because we don't want our e-bikes to be super, super heavy, hard to lift on a rack. So that's consideration. But some of the nicer forks aren't that much heavier than a standard rigid fork. So 
that kind of goes into how much money do you want to spend on the fork as well. If you're riding a fat tire bike on the road, fat tires provide a lot of cushion. The main advantage to having a fork is the comfort, right? If you're on a road bike or a commuter style bike, you have a suspension fork, not because you're going to go off a jump or something. It's just going to absorb and soak up some of the bumps and make the handling better and make it for a more comfortable, enjoyable ride. And that's why most people want them. And that makes perfect sense. Now, fat tires do most of that for you already. So in my opinion, fat tire bikes are kind of an exception where there's enough of a cushion and absorption from the tires themselves that you can really get away without it and still have a comfortable ride. If you start going to more off-road trails, or let's just say you live down a gravel road or something and it has a lot of potholes or you know washboard type stuff, then a suspension fork is going to be a benefit and it's going to be better. But that's one of the reasons I changed the Blackbird models, which if you haven't seen, they just got re-released for a November badge. I am recording this podcast episode less than 24 hours after we released that video saying we're going to make more of that bike. And a huge percentage of those bikes are already gone. So I'm afraid we're going to sell out very, very quickly. And with the way parts are going, I'm not sure how soon we're going to get more but go check that out. Point is, the reason I changed the the Blackbird to include a suspension fork from the factory as a default, whereas it was an option previously, what we would do previously on that model of bike is we get the bikes in all with rigid forks. And if someone wanted a suspension fork, we would unbox it, pull the fork off, swap it out, and then, you know, customize it a little bit. And we did so many of those, it was getting to be a little bit crazy. So I was like, you know what? So many people want the fork, we should just put it on there. So we did that for the next batch, and then the next batch, we just made the fork even better, and that's just been a a great change, and I just realized that comfort usually is more important than the slight extra bit of maintenance with a suspension fork or the slight bit of extra weight. So forks are really good for comfort. Now, there's quite a few bikes that we sell that are fat tires and don't have a suspension fork. Some of the smaller folding models, it makes it a little bit harder to fold up. It you know, changes the geometry a bit. Uh, some of them could be changed if we change the frames of different things. The all-wheel drive, the Bronco bike, doesn't have a suspension fork up front because it has a front hub motor. And depending on the type of fork, a front hub motor and a fork is not always a good combination just because of the, the structure and the strength and how that torque is moving on there. So there's always going to be some exceptions where it just doesn't make sense for other reasons because of the construction of the bike. So whether or not you need the fork, I think just depends on do you want the most comfort you can get? Do you care about power loss? And you care about any extra little maintenance or anything? And I think most of you are going to say, mm, yeah, I, I do want a suspension fork. And then sometimes there's going to be situations like a, a smaller fat tire folding bike where it's like, hmm, yeah, I might want one, but it's really not necessary on that bike and the way it's going to be used. So hopefully that helps explain why you may or may not need one. For me personally, yes, my personal bike has a fork on the front. I like to hit the trails, do more off-road mountain biking trails. And so for that reason, it's great. I don't need a full suspension bike for most of the riding that I do, but a front fork is something that I do prefer to have because of the type of riding. Now that you know probably if you need one or not, what type of fork do you need? 
What type of construction should it be? There are forks made out of aluminum. There are forks typically rigid that are made out of carbon. Magnesium is another option. Uh, Magnesium is a fork that we've used or a material we've used on some of our forks because it's very, very lightweight and also very strong. Works great for forks. So if you see magnesium on a fork anywhere, just know that that's not a weird thing. That's actually a good thing and it's usually nicer than other options. And basically you've got different types. You've got very basic forks that are kind of a coil spring inside and oil filled. So the oil works to dampen the fork spring. So otherwise you'd have a spring and basically be like a pogo stick. When it compresses, it would just want to bounce up and down, just doing, doing, and that's not going to work. You want it to soak up the bump and then just slowly and nicely go back to where it was. And I say slowly just because it's not a pogo stick, but this really can happen very, very quickly and very fast. When you get into some of the nicer forks, then they have air adjustments. That means that you can put a pump. It kind of looks like a bicycle pump, but it's an air pump for forks, and it goes at a much higher pressure, over 100 PSI. And you can adjust how much pressure is inside the fork, and that adjusts how soft or hard it is. And then there's usually some dials on forks that have a a lockout button. Basically, that means you can totally lock the fork out so it's rigid. That would be a case, say, where you're pedaling hard up a hill. You don't want to lose any power. Then you're not going to lose any power from the fork bobbing up and down. Otherwise, just for comfort, you can just leave it unlocked all the time. And some of them have a progressive style of switch on top of the fork there. So it can be anywhere between fully locked out and fully open. So you can kind of stiffen it up a little bit and kind of find a happy medium if you want to. Uh, Another thing is called preload, and what that does is it's kind of like a ride height adjustment. So depending on your weight, you would typically adjust the preload so that way when you sit on the bike, it's not totally stiff and all the way at the top, and it's not sagging and kind of all the way down at the bottom. It's not adjusting the compression, which is how quick or how hard it is to actually compress the fork down. That's a different adjustment called compression, (laughs) and sometimes that's an adjustment that you might have as well. So different types of forks, all sorts of different qualities out there, and if you have a bike without a suspension fork, usually the first thing you got to figure out is what dimensions, what size do you need, and then you can start narrowing down what options are on the market, what can you actually buy. First thing I usually like to look at is what type of wheel do you have on your bike and start with the size first. And I know this has confused people because we've had uh, a few returns here and there with suspension forks and I've had questions about it uh, where people don't know which size fork to buy. Right now on boltonebikes.com, we have three sizes of the same air fork listed. There's a 20 inch and these are all for fat tires currently. We have a 20 inch, a 24 inch and a 26 inch. Now, that dimension really doesn't tell you anything about the dimension of the actual fork itself. Uh, The reason we label them that way is because those are for 20-inch fat tires, 24-inch fat tires, or 26-inch fat tires. So you can tell very easily based on what your tire size is, what fork would be the right fit. Now, that is assuming fat bikes, and the 20 to 24 to 26, basically that's determining the height or the length of the fork between the dropouts, which the dropouts are 
basically the, the notches or the holes at the very bottom of the fork where your axle sits. So the dropouts to the arch. So if you can imagine the bottom piece of the fork, which is called the lower, being like an upside down U shape, the arch is at the top, and then you've got these legs that come down. The dropouts are at the very bottom. So the distance between the dropouts and the arch and that whole single piece, that assembly is, is referred to as the lowers of a fork. That's what the part's called, just kind of industry-wide. So, you know, if somebody says, oh, I need a new lower for my fork or I want to take it off, that's what they're referring to. But the distance between the dropout and the arch on that lower is going to be different between those different sizes. So if you tried to put a 20-inch fork on a 26-inch bike, it's not going to fit because it's just too small. And if you go the opposite way and you try and put a 26-inch fork on a 20-inch bike, it would technically fit, but it would be way too long and it would just be ridiculous. and It would change the geometry of the bike. It wouldn't make sense. So you want to make sure you get the right size. So height is one measurement you need to be aware of. Width is the next one. The dropouts, which I mentioned, can have different styles and different widths. For most what I would consider budget-friendly e-bikes, the dropouts are going to be 135 millimeters. Lots of measurements in metric on forks. There's a couple that, at least in America, we refer to in inches. So I know that's super confusing. Why do we refer one part of a fork in inches and another part in millimeters? I don't know, but we do it anyway. <laughs> so the dropouts, 135 millimeters is pretty standard. And most are either bolted on so there's actually a, an axle that has threads on the end, and then you have a nut and a couple of washers to put the wheel onto the fork. Sometimes you have a quick release, and the fork itself is basically the same, whether your wheel bolts on or it has a quick release, which has the lever that you swing over to tighten everything down. Either one of those styles could be replaced by a fork of that style. Now that's for 135 millimeters. There are also forks that are wider that go out to 150 millimeters. So if you have a wheel that's 135, but you buy a fork that's 150, there's going to be a big gap there. It's not going to fit. So make sure that you're buying the right size. Now, currently, like I said, on Bolton e-bikes, we have three sizes of one style of fork. All three of those are a 135 millimeter width on the dropout, and they're designed for those bolted on axles or for quick release axles. It'll work for either of those types. If you have a wider wheel, often if you go to 150 millimeter, things usually change, and there's always exceptions to these rules, but most forks I see when they're going wider are changing to a, a newer standard, which is called a through axle. So a quick release skewer is very small, the diameter of it, and then a through axle is a much, much bigger, thicker axle that slides through. And at first glance, if you haven't seen both of these, you might think it, it is a quick release because it still has a lever on one end. So you can undo most through axle hubs, wheel fork assemblies without tools. Sometimes you do need an Allen wrench. It just depends on the exact model. But you have a lever on one side you undo that, and then you kind of unscrew that whole assembly and pull this very big, thick, heavy-duty axle out. And that's the type of fork that comes on the new Bolton e-bikes Blackbird that I mentioned. And that specific style of fork 
is actually something that we've ordered a bunch of extras for. So we've got them not only for the production of the Blackbird bike, but we've got extras. That way we have another fork option on our website. And that's not available yet, but that's something that's coming soon. And some of those initial shipments of the Blackbird, we're going to have those forks showing up. So watch out for another heavier duty option for forks from Bolton e-bikes. But you've got the dropouts, you've got the height. The third thing you've got to check is the steerer tube. So to make sure that I know we're all on the same page, if you're looking at a fork, we talked about the dropouts, you know what those are now. The lowers, it's kind of that upside down U shape that's the bottom of most forks, you know what that is. The stanchions, those are basically the tubes that go inside of the lowers. That whole assembly kind of moves up and down. And then the top piece that is also kind of a a smaller upside down U shape that's right up against the frame of the bike, that's called the crown. And then the tube that sits on top of the crown that actually goes through your frame, that is called the steerer tube, which makes sense because that's what attaches to your stem and your handlebars and you actually steer the bike. So hopefully that helps to explain the different basic parts of a suspension fork. Now those steerer tubes can be different sizes, both in the length and in the diameter and shape of the tube itself. Let's talk about the length first. So if you look at your bicycle frame, and if you're near your bike, you can pause this, you can go take a look at it, take a tape measure out, whatever it is, or just glance at it, or just think about the front of your bicycle frame where your your fork goes through. That distance between the bottom and the top of the frame where that steer tube goes through is not the same between every bike. So if you are replacing a fork, you need to make sure the steer tube is long enough that it goes all the way through that section of the frame, and then you have enough room at the top, once it goes through, to mount on your stem. Fork tubes, you really can't extend them. They come the way they come. But if they're longer, you can always cut them down if needed. It's not always required. You can always add some some spacers just to, to use up the excess length there. But you want to make sure it's at least longer than whatever you've got or the same length because if it's shorter, it just may not have enough length to fit. So pretty easy. You just measure the length of that steer tube, measure from the top of the crown or the bottom of the steer tube all the way up and make sure that fits. Now, the other thing is the diameter of the tube itself. Most more reasonably priced affordable e-bikes have a one and one eighth inch steer tube. Other countries look at that measurement in millimeters like everything else on a bike. But like I said, in the US, for some reason, we like to look at that in inches along with a couple of other things. So one and one eighth and the diameter of that tube is constant. So it doesn't change. It doesn't taper or anything. It's just a solid straight tube all the way from the top of the steer tube down to the crown where it mounts to the rest of the fork. That's one style. And like I said, that's probably the most common style. That's what you see on Saunders bikes. It's what you see on the Rad Rovers, Juiced bikes. Basically, all of the the reasonably priced e-bikes that are on the market are using something like that. Most of the Bolton e-bikes that I sell have that style of steer tube. Now, that's another change that's happening on some of the newer models, like the Blackbird, where we changed the fork. A newer standard that you'll find on higher-end e-bikes or mountain bikes these days has a tapered tube. So the tube looks similar at the top, 
But then as you get towards the bottom, there's a really big flare and taper out where it gets bigger. And basically when it gets bigger, that means you've got bigger bearings and you have more surface area there. And it's just kind of a sturdier, stronger design, a little bit newer. So it's not as common on older bikes or non-existent on older bikes and not as common on e-bikes. So you have to know what type of fork you have now and make sure that matches. Is it either a straight head tube or steer tube, or is it a tapered steer tube? And there are some adapters on the market that allow you to switch between one or the other, but some tapered tubes just plain will not fit into an older frame that's a straight tube. But usually there are adapters that can go from a tapered tube frame to fit a straight fork. So there's a little bit of back and forth. There's some some ways to do it, but it gets a little more complicated. It's much easier if you just pick the same style as what you have now, then it's going to be a lot easier to retrofit these parts on. Now, how do you actually get these forks swapped out and changed over? Let's assume you know the sizes now, you've got everything pinned down, you want to buy a suspension fork for your bike because it doesn't have one, or you just want to upgrade the fork that you've got to a higher quality. What's required to actually change it out? It's not complicated once you've done it a few times, but if you've never done it, I'll be honest, my first experience changing out a suspension fork was a pain and I didn't like it. Now I've done, I don't know how many hundreds of fork swaps and it's really easy. I can do it in minutes, but that was not the case. I've had a ton of practice. So first things first, you kind of have to to loosen everything off. So you got to take the front wheel off, obviously, because you're going to move that to the new fork. And then typically you're going to have a brake caliper that's mounted to the fork. And since I'm talking about the brakes, this is another question we've been getting quite a bit with people installing a new fork on their bike is they'll pull the caliper assembly off of the old fork and then they'll go to install the new one and they'll say, oh, the holes don't line up. It won't install on the new fork. And that's because there are different mounting patterns for suspension forks. Now, don't worry, this is not a big deal at all because most bikes come with on what I would consider cheaper forks, so things you would be swapping out and getting rid of, they come with a mount that's basically, if you'd imagine the holes are from the side of the bike and you have a brake adapter that bolts to those two holes and then those holes then change, they're moving those 90 degrees so then you have two holes that are in line front to back with the bike And that's how the bolts go on the caliper. So your mount is changing 90 degrees from one way to the other. On an old style of fork, you have holes on the side. But on a newer fork, instead of having that brake adapter, the fork itself just has the holes oriented the other way, 90 degrees, they're threaded. So often you will just remove the adapter that is already on your caliper and then the caliper just mounts directly to the fork. Now that's typically what happens. If you have a bike where you've changed out to a larger rotor or a different disc or something, uh, there's a chance you might have to buy a new adapter, but there's lots and lots of adapters. They're fairly inexpensive, so very easy to change it over. So don't be worried if you look at the holes on your old fork and your new fork and they don't look the same most of the time. This will work just by actually removing a part And worst case scenario, you might have to buy a $10 adapter to mount it up correctly for whatever brakes you have. 
that's one thing you got to do. You got to remove the wheel, remove the brakes, and then you need to remove the stem. That's the piece that clamps onto the steer tube above the frame and your handlebars. So you loosen, there's a bolt on the very top of the stem. There's two pinch bolts on the side. You loosen that up, take that off. And now we get to the complicated bit, which is called the headset. The headset is not a single piece. It's a collection of pieces and bearings that's on your bike. And you kind of have to pay attention to which way you pull these pieces off because they're all slightly different. I wish I could tell you exactly what the layout's going to be, but it depends on the headset. But there's two things you can do here. You can either remove all of these bearings and everything and move them over to the new fork, or what's much, much easier in most cases than removing the parts, because some of them can be rather difficult, is to buy a new headset. They're usually less than 20 bucks, and you just install a brand new headset on your new fork, which since you're doing all this work and changing things out, some of those bearings and things start to wear out. Uh, It's not a bad idea to replace them anyway while you're doing this. So for the limited cost that it is, I would recommend when you're putting a new fork on, just buy a new headset. It makes the process easier, and then your parts are going to last longer. Uh, Your fork's going to be more solid. It's just a better way to go. Now, can you remove your headset and pieces and use it again? Yes, you can, but there's a couple of challenges. So a fork does not come with a headset. So just be aware that when you're swapping the fork out, you're going to have to take those old pieces and move them over, or you got to buy the new one. But here's the two parts that are a little bit complicated to move. One is called the star nut. And if you have your fork disassembled or off your bike, or if you pull off the cap on the very top of your stem, you can see this part. Uh, A star nut is kind of a star-shaped nut, and it's pounded into the steerer tube. And that very top bolt on your stem, that's what that is screwed into. And basically that pulls the fork up into the frame and kind of cinches everything together. And that's a very important piece. You don't want to lose that because that's kind of risky to ride without that piece in there. You want that. But this star nut is not something that comes in a fork. And the reason why is because of the steer tube we talked about earlier. It can be different lengths and you might need it to be a different length on a different bike. If the manufacturers of forks included a star nut already pounded into the fork, it might be in the wrong spot. So if you have to cut the tube down, you're going to have to move that or you're going to cut it off and it's just not in the right place. So that's why the star nut is not included in a fork and it's a separate piece because you don't know how far down into that steer tube it needs to go unless you know exactly what bike it's going on. So I hope that makes sense. And there is a special tool to pound a star nut into a steerer tube. They're pretty reasonably priced. If you're just doing this one time, you know, in your garage, you can take a nice long bolt and thread it into a star nut and gently take a hammer and tap it in. It's a little bit more difficult, but it's doable. The second thing is what's called the crown race. Now, remember the crown is the smaller U-shaped piece of a fork that connects right to the steer tube. So that's butted right up against the under part of the frame. A crown race is a small metal piece that is pounded down all the way to the very bottom of the steer tube. Sometimes they have to be tapped in place with a special tool. I've seen some that do slip on, which is nice. 
but most of them are tapped on, which means they're very, very tight. And because they're designed to go flush up against the crown race, they can be rather difficult to remove. Now, a bike shop will have tools typically to remove a crown race. I've got one here and it's so nice. It just gets right underneath it and pulls it off. But a good tool like that is expensive. I've tried cheaper ones and they just don't work very well. So the crown race is probably the most difficult thing to remove. And the main reason I would say it's worth just buying the $20, $15, whatever you do, buy a new headset because it will come with a new crown race. You can just pound on your new fork and you don't have to worry about it. So you've got the stem off. Basically, you you pull some of these headset bearings and pieces off, and then the fork basically slides out the bottom of the frame. You take the new headset, so you have the crown race pounded onto the new fork. You have some bearings that go on top of that underneath the frame. You slide that whole assembly through the frame, put some bearings on the top, put your stem back on the top, and basically tighten everything back together. Uh, And then at that point, you put your brake caliper back on, you put your front wheel back on, make sure everything's straight, and effectively, you're good to go. So it's a little bit of a process. I know in a podcast, it may be a little bit harder to visualize, but I want you guys to know what parts are required to make a swap like that and what some of the different dimensions and things actually mean. I hope that helps. Like I said, I know it's a little bit hard to visualize, so I do plan on making a video in the near future more specific to forks and showing you this process on camera to say, here's a specific type of bike. We're going to swap out from this fork to this fork. And here's what you need to do. We're not going to get into the more advanced stuff, like trying to change a straight steer tube to a tapered tube or anything like that. Because I think if you're going to do something like that, you're going to have to do a lot of research to make sure you got the right parts anyway. But the basics I do want to cover. I want to make sure that's something that you know how to do if you ever need to. And if we have the right fork for you at boltonebikes.com, great. And if not, there are, of course, lots of other options on the market. They may not be as reasonably priced as ours, but (laughs) we do have some, of course. And watch out for that new inverted fork on the Blackbird, also available as an extra option for other bikes. That's going to be an awesome one. Now, I didn't talk about the style of an inverted fork yet, but just real quickly, If you can imagine the lowers as the part of the fork that moves up and down compared to the rest, and then the stanchions or those tubes that go inside, basically we're reversing those, which seems a little bit weird. You almost have to look at it if you haven't seen one of these before to to visualize this. But very common on motorcycles, basically where those stanchions, those tubes are on the bottom half, and then the bottom half has the mounts or the dropouts for your wheel, and then that moves up and down into the fork. So just a slightly different type of design on this particular fork are really well designed. They're very beefy and sturdy. It allows us to put a bigger tire on. We have some more clearance than the forks we were using before. So there's some reasons we changed to that model, but watch out for those being available soon. And stay tuned. I don't have an official release date for that video yet. It hasn't been filmed yet, but I know it's going to happen. So We'll make sure to uh, circle back around and let you know when that comes out. In the meantime, we do have a giveaway that would have just ended by the time this podcast episode comes out. So congratulations to whoever the winner is. I don't know yet because that hasn't ended on that new Sabre bike. I know you're going to be really, really happy with it. It's going to be a ton of fun. And to anyone else who ordered a Sabre and is waiting for it, also congratulations. Also going to be well worth 
the wait. I look forward to getting all of those in and shipping them out along with all of the other hundreds and hundreds of bikes that are coming in before the end of this year. So thanks again for listening to the Bolton e-bikes podcast. I appreciate every one of you that's listening. I'm getting so many comments and reviews lately. Keep those coming. I do love those uh, five-star reviews on the podcast and as well as the, the website and everything else is going on. If you are new to the podcast for some reason and you just stumbled upon it, make sure to go to ebikepodcast.com. That's an email list where we'll send you an update when new episodes come out, which is every Tuesday, and we'll send you a special link for those bike giveaways I mentioned so that you know when those happen each and every time because I like to give away as many bikes as we can. Even though this year it's really hard to get our hands on e-bikes, we're still trying to make those happen as often as we can. Once again, I'm Kyle, the owner of Bolton E-Bikes, and I hope you come back again next Tuesday and listen in. Thank you. Thank you.